in the book of Genesis. We're in Genesis 1, and uh, hopefully this morning we'll, be, we'll get through some of the uh, verses through this chapter. Um, if you weren't with us last week, please uh, grab that video. It's on YouTube. It'll be there this morning. And uh, we talked about the evolution hypothesis and, uh, of course, creation and all the arguments. You know, we, we covered a little bit of that. So Make sure you join us because the Bible starts off in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, No argument for the existence of God. Clearly, there is a creation, and so there is a creator, and we talk about that in great depth. This morning, I want to cover just uh, the uh, God here in in chapter 1. But let me start by saying this, that... You know, the book of Genesis is the most important book ever written and has had the greater influence on the history than any other book ever produced. As a result, no other book of the Bible is quoted more often or referred to so frequently as the book of Genesis. Uh, if you, you know, when you think about some of the subject matters that the whole world considers, uh, you know, who am I? Genesis speaks about that. Where did I come from? I remember being in the university and the professor gets up and he says, how do you know that you are here, right? And I, at the time I wasn't a Christian, so I, you know, I'm like, oh, this is gonna be fun. You know, who, what, what are people going to say? And, and you know, nobody had an, a real good answer because they were f- afraid of how the professor was gonna give the rebuttal, you know? And so of course the Christian guy stands up and he says, because God said we are, and God said we're human, and God said we had a purpose. And that guy got so red, you know, getting really angry at the Christian. And I'm like, oh, poor guy. But you know, he made us stand. But the Bible tells you who I am. The Bible says, you know, where did I come from? The Bible says, is there a God? Absolutely. And if there is a God, how can I know him? What is the purpose for my life? And so these uh, different questions that arises, the Bible answers these questions. These questions, uh, as we go through the book of Genesis, I don't know how long I'll be in the book of Genesis. I decided the book of Genesis thinking that Ross would be away for a month or two. And so we would uh, cover most of it, God willing, if I don't get stuck here in chapter one. But you know, so, so it, you know, If a person believes he originated from cosmic goo or a descendant of the apes, that will have a profound effect on his worldview, essentially reducing mankind to little more than a cosmic accident, which is uh, what's being taught today. You're a bunch of chemicals bouncing off each other, and and really there's no logic. Uh, There's, uh, you know, I, I know they tried to make an argument for, you know, morals and all that, but then they realized, yeah, if we're just a bunch of chemicals, a bunch of, you know, uh, you know, liquid fluids bouncing off each other, then we really can't come to these, you know, profound beliefs. And so they, they're starting to come to that conclusion. It's because God made morality. God made truth. And so on and on. But listen to this one. On the other hand, if a 
person believes that we were divinely created in the image of an all-powerful and holy and loving God, that will have a dramatic impact in elevating mankind to a place of great significance in the vast arena of God's creation. And so your worldview, it really matters. It really matters. And it will cause you to look at society and world in a different view as you consider these things. And so the Christian realm loves mankind, loves humanity. You know, early on in, in, you know, in Christendom, we've had, you know, Christians that uh, went way off. I don't even know why you would call them Christians. Some of the, even the dark ages and how they treated humanity was, you know, I'm ashamed. But on the other hand, I have an excuse. They weren't really believers of God word, God's word. Because if they were believers of God's word, they would look at humanity with the highest respect and honor all mankind everywhere in the same level. And so this is what Christianity has done. It has opened the, really the, the doors for women to be elevated. It's opened the doors for races to come together, you know, and, and, so, and to love one another. And that's what Christianity has done. Whereas the evolution hypothesis, you're just it's a fluid, you know, the greatest, the toughest ones grow in survival of the fittest and on and on and on. Anyways, I don't need to go off on that. But let's go on to Genesis chapter one. It begins with this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so uh, speaking of God, I, I really just want to just uh, point that out just a little bit. Whenever your English Bible says capital G-O-D, it's always speaking of Elohim. That's the Hebrew word for God. And, 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 and so there's uh, you know, three really powerful words that describe God. Uh, the other one is capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Whenever you see that in your Bible, it's Yahweh. And so, and then again, if you see capital L, O, R, uh, lowercase O, and R and D in your Bible, it's Adonai. And so those three words are the very powerful descriptive words about God. And so that's how you would know that in the Hebrew language. Um, the, you know, the word Elohim appears 32 times in Genesis alone there in chapter one and 2,500 times in the entire Old Testament. The meaning is the strong one, the mighty one. Now the thing about Elohim is because it's a descriptive word, it also, you know, when you read in the Old Testament, it describes angels. So you would find Elohim for the word angels. And of course your translation has already put down angels, so your English version. But, uh, it, and then also it refers to Elohim as judges, men who judge. And so that's, I, I just say that because the cults want to tell you you're a god. That's what they, you're a God. And so raise up to the equation, you know, the, to, to the level of being God. And, and that's, that's a lot of garbage. One day you'll own your own universe and be a God. That's, that's just garbage. But they take Elohim from those words in the sentence there, and they try to put it in your behalf. So learn the context. The context describes what we're speaking about. And so our English Bible does the translation for you already. And it says that it's angels or it says that it's judges or men. Uh, and so that's really important. And that's why I just wanted to say that. Um, when used of the one God, speaking of one God, it commonly occurs in the Hebrew with a singular verb as it's found here in Genesis chapter one, verse one. 
Moses appears confident that there will be no mistaking this God with any other God of the fathers and the God of the Bible. I mean, uh, Moses is the author of Genesis. He also writes Deuteronomy. And chapter 6, verse 4, he makes it very clear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, he is one. You cannot add multiple gods to the equation. That's contradictive to say, oh, there's another God that competes with the, the supreme God. It, it just, there's no logic to that. And so it's just one God, and Moses makes it very clear. So uh, just a history of how did you come to know that there were other gods? Well, man, according to Romans chapter 1, man in their vain imagination began to create these sub-gods, if you will. And so you have these other gods like Zeus and Hermes and these other mythology, uh, myth uh, gods that, uh, that circulate throughout the world. You, you get into India and you have the elephant god, you know, and uh, where I was at. And every time I saw that elephant, it was, you know, uh, and then the woman with her, uh, I don't know. And so a lot of different gods, but man in their own imagination has created these gods. And so uh, Romans chapter one talks about that, that he became vain and they became darkened in their mind, and so they created these different gods uh, that you would be that would be mentioned throughout the world today. But one God, Moses says. By the way, how do you know that it's only one God? Because God leaves that breadcrumb trail from our time all the way to creation. And day one, God created the light. Grade two, grade day two, God created the 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 waters in the spans there, the the atmosphere and the sky. And He declares it in such a detail that no other religious book does that. No other religious religious books gives you that information. So that He clearly is the oldest revelation of God, and He clearly takes you all the way to the beginning of time. And and so it demonstrates that He is the God to be worshipped, the only God. And so it's interesting when I travel around the world, that's, that's what I bring to them. I tell them about the true and living God. And then we compare our religious books. And I say, hmm, your religious book is lacking. <laughs> you know? And it's interesting that well, to bring these conversations and God begins to illuminate their souls and their mind. And then they bow down to the true and living God. So again, hear, old, hear old Israel, the Lord God, he is one. Now, as we work our way through the Bible, God reveals more of himself. For instance, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it reads this. Then God said, let us, notice that us, make mankind in our image. Who is he speaking about there? He can't be speaking about angels or created things because he can only speak to that what is his equal. So here it's beginning, it's beginning to give us a hint to the Trinity. It says there, then God said, let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all creatures that move along the ground. Now the word Elohim, the introduction of the name is El, one, then Ohim, I am, is the plural ending, meaning more than one, which Moses never intended to have more than one God, but he's describing the Godhead. Now, no Jewish scholar would say that this is speaking of the Trinity, but as you begin to work your way through the Old Testament and then in the New Testament, there's given great revelation to this, this doctrine, the Trinity. It's one God, but in the Godhead, there's three persons. Now, 
Isaiah 9, and then let's look as we work our way through the Old Testament. By the way, I just picked a few verses. There's so many more. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, notice that, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So here, Mighty God is called a child. He is referred to as a son. And he will, call, he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. It's, given, it, it's clearing up the Godhead. Again, Isaiah 48, 16, most uh, Jewish scholars and priests don't know what to do with this verse. Verse 16 says this, Come near me and listen to this. From the first announcements I have spoken in secret at the time it, had, it happens, I am there. That's speaking of Jesus. And he says, and now the sovereign Lord has sent me endowed with his spirit. So you see the Trinity being expressed there. That, they don't know what to do with that verse. That's a very clear teaching of the triune God. By the way, Trinity is not mentioned in the Bible, but the concept is so clear. Now, John 1, 1, this really breaks the, the whole wide, door wide open. Boom, here's the Trinity. In the beginning, uh, John chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were, were made, and without him nothing was made that was made. Verse 14 and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the only, uh, uh, the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. So there are three important things in this passage about Jesus and the father. First, Jesus was in the beginning. He was present at creation. In fact, he's the one that began to create all this. Jesus had existed eternally with God. That's the first thing you have to note in that verse. And then the second thing, Jesus is distinct from the Father. He was with God. Did you see that? He was with God. God the Father. God the Holy Spirit there. And notice the last portion of here. Jesus is same as God in nature. He is God. So the Trinity very clearly displayed of the mystery of the Trinity of the triune God is difficult to understand, yet is one of the doctrines revealed in scriptures. In the Bible, both God and the Father and Jesus are called shepherd, judge, and savior. Both are called the pierce one in one verse. Listen to this, Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, notice here, they will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him, who's talking about Jesus, as the one who mourns for any, uh, an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. So both are being spoken of here, God the Father and God the Son. Christ is the exact represent, representation of God the Father, having the same nature. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of being, sustaining all things by the powerful word. And after he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty 
in heaven. There is some sense in which everything the Father does, the Son and the Spirit also does, uh, and vice versa. They are always in perfect agreement at every moment, and all three uh, are equal but understood to be one God. This is so important. Knowing that Jesus is God and all the attributes of God aids our understanding of Jesus as the creator. So this is an important doctrine in the, in, in the scriptures. Once you go into the arena of multiple gods, you have defiled the word of God itself. So whenever you travel around the world, everybody always talks about multiple gods. And so it begins to go against the revelation of the true living God. Now, um, that was heavy theology. Let's, let's move on now. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That word uh, created there is the, is the Hebrew word bara. Uh, this verse clearly teaches us that God made this entire universe and that he did so without using anything. The theological term is ex nihilio, which is Latin for out of nothing. Before this physical universe existed, nothing physical existed. And once God in, the, in his sovereign power decided to create a physical universe, the universe came into being. That is the meaning of the simple phrase, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The Bible does not tell us that God stumbled upon some matter which he shaped in some material universe outside of biblical account. There is no explanation of origins to be found. All ancient creation myths begin with pre-existent universe complete with space, time, and matter and work from there. Modern evolutionary thought, which dominates the postmodern worldview, does not provide an explanation of origins. Evolutionary thought begins with the Big Bang Theory, but it fails to offer an explanation of the cause of the monumental event or the source of material which exploded into the universe. The Bible's account of creation is unique. It tells us that God created the world out of nothing. And by the way, that's always the argument, right? We take them, I, you know, when we're out on the streets witnessing, I always tell them, you know, what, what's your worldview? You know, it's evolution or it's, you know, it's God. And so uh, most of them start begin, they, they begin with evolution and I begin to pound away at that. So where did, you know, your Big Bang theory come from? Where did the matter come from? And so, you know, there was some fluctuation on the earth. And here, I mean, pe people say some funny things. And of course, and then I have to tell them, well, your, your scholars say that's impossible. And I, you know, and then typically I quote somebody from their side and, and then they have to relent. And then I rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to speak to them. Because it's God that brings change. It's not us, all right? We can convince them until we're red in the face. But, you know, we, we, we can't convince the soul. It's God that goes in and begins to operate in that arena. But know this, God created something out of nothing. And that is spectacular. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Now the earth was formless. Hey, we're moving along. We're in verse 2 now. Okay. <laughs> Now, by the way, I, 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 there's just, you know, we, we have some amazing scholars here, just amazing scholars. And uh, uh, Dean, he wrote a book uh, on, on creation and, 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 the, and Genesis and God. And I mean, if you, Dean's over here, you can get with him and get a book. We, we got Nick over here is an amazing 
you know, philosopher in the word of God. Kurt is a science guy. You know, I'm intimidated getting up here, you know. I share a little bit of my, you know, my understanding of things because if I err, they're, you know they're going to come up and say, you know, Vaughn, you know. <laughs> the, the earth was empty. Uh, earth was formless and empty. Uh, it was a complete wasteland and utterly inhabitable by anything. In fact, darkness was over the face of the deep. It was pitch black. There was no light at all. That was the condition of the earth in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. There was no life on earth at all. Nothing could live. It was utter chaos. But there was hope. Moses says there in verse 2, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, Notice that the Spirit of God was not part of the chaos. He hovered over the face of the water. He was about to bring order out of chaos. So this is just an amazing uh, verse here that in the next verse 3 begins the creation process. Now, when Darwinian philosophy came out, it began to change a lot of Christians' minds about evolution, about fossil records, and so they began to come with a bunch of theories, you know, and, and one of the theories happens between chapter one and verse two. And the theory behind this is that, you know, this chaos in darkness wasn't God's first creation, but the creation had dinosaurs in it. It had uh, the huge animal life and creatures. And, and again, there was the angelic beings that were created uh, Satan rebelled against God and, the, and Satan was cast to the earth. And so it was between verses 1 and 2. And so they, uh, they, uh, they created these theories to kind of be able to put the Bible with science and so to, to explain the fossil records. And so when God decided to start new, he pushed the reset button and then he began to create. He wiped off all the animal life. And so that's why we have the fossil records of these huge dinosaurs. How could they live with man, they say. And so it, it was a reset button. And so just so that you know, there's these kind of theories. There's a lot more theories, but uh, that's a theory that's running out there. I, I always say this, guys. We, we don't have to twist God's word to fit science. Science is finally coming to the revelation. Whoa. God's word is exactly what it says. I mean, when you come with it with an open mind, that's, and one of my testimonies is on last service, on, I mean, on the last uh, Sunday that we met, is that that's what happened to me. I wanted to prove the Bible wrong, and I started in the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created, and I remember going to the, the professors, and so I gave that whole testimony. Uh, you, can, you can grab that video and look at it. Uh, and so, but, you know, it was a wrestling match, because I did not want to believe in God. And so just give me the facts, man. And I remember just going at my professors, just give me the facts. Don't give me the probability and chances. Just do we have this? Do we have that? No, no, no. And you want me to believe by faith in the millions of years that we can't observe, as science says, right? Science says we should be able to see observable truth. You want me to believe in a fossil record that's not there. Remember the Piltdown Man? All those men they mentioned there in our science book when I was in fifth grade are no longer in existence because they proved them all wrong. They're, they're, they were all false. These, these guys who wanted to make a living 
and have you know millions of dollars pass their way through grants. You know, they 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 sawed the tooth with the you know, and then they put a little this glue and they made it rough look and they go, look what we found, and here's the pig tooth, and on and on and on. All those things don't exist today. But for 40 years they were taught as the evolution process. Oh, I don't know why I'm going there. Let's move on. Yeah. <laughs> Just, I tell you, man, it's hard for me to stay focused. Anyways, let, let the Bible come true in your eyes. And, and, and hold on. It's just a matter of time and everything's going to be blown up. You know, I know the, the, the latest evolution, um, uh, you know, the, the, the sophisticated men have come to the conclusion, yeah, it's impossible. It's impossible. So now they're throwing aliens at you and, and you're like, okay, now you guys are way out there. Anyways, I'm not going to believe, I didn't believe in the evolution process. Well, after my debating with them for many, many years, I really had truth, honesty. I took a look at everything and said, let's just lay it down there and look at the facts. And that's when I became a believer. Anyways, that theory there, the Hebrew language does not allow for it. First of all, now the earth was formless and empty. It doesn't say it became formless and empty. One difficult of the gap theory uh, is that it requires that creation suffers death and destruction before Adam's fall. Romans chapter 5 says this, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man, notice that, therefore just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sin, death was not introduced until Adam sinned. Then creation suffered. Then we have all this other ramifications as we look through our nature. By the way, when we examine nature today, it's a fallen world. It's hard to grasp truth from a fallen world, but when it was made in perfection, how powerful it was indeed and how amazing Romans 5.12 tells us one man brought sin in the world, then death entered in. So there's all kinds of information about then how did the dinosaurs get along with man. Come on now, we, we, we get along with lions, we get along with elephants. We, you know, when I'm riding an elephant, oh, maybe some of you guys are against that. Uh, when I'm petting the elephant, <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, wow, man, th this is amazing that we can stand in these, next to these wild animals. And uh, I'll be really blessed when they, when they tamed a rhinoceros. But I don't think that will happen. But anyways, we, we, we tamed every animal, every wild animal there is. You know, think about the rhinoceros, we, you know, and the hippo. We, we, you know, the, there's some guys that ride the hippo, but, you know, the rhinoceros. But anyways, just, just you know, when, when you think of man as hunters, I know that's a big no-no. You know, of course we would hunt the biggest animals. Of course. Do you realize that there are thousands of animals going extinct this week? Did you know that? Nobody tells you that. There's animals that have been going extinct for the last, you know, since mankind. And if we as human beings don't intervene, they're, they're gone. Lions will be gone. Tigers will be gone. Of course the dinosaurs were gone. Those are the things I would have hunted and put it in my shelf and said, look at that. You know, I'm not a hunter, but anyways, I just think I'm tough. But anyways, anyways, Ezekiel is another one that points to this in chapter 28. It says they're speaking of Satan. There's some, you know, argument whether this is the devil or the king. Uh, it's, it's, it's both in Ezekiel 28 here. Uh, God is speaking to the king, but then begins to look at the one that was running the king. And he says this about Satan in verse 13. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Did you see that? 
You were in Eden, the garden of God. That's day six. That's way after day one and day two. That's day six. And then it goes on. It says that every precious stone uh, adorned you. And then verse 15, you were blameless in your ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. And so then wickedness was found in him after day six. That's how Ezekiel 28 at least proclaims it. So the gap theory, uh, that's probably a good term, gap. (laughs) Now the Holy Spirit is hovering over the face of the water. We see the very first act of order from chaos. Now we're into verse uh, three. Oh, let's move on. Verse three. Um, It says there, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Simply by his powerful word, God pushed the darkness aside with his light, light that would make life on earth possible. Some may ask, if the sun was created on the fourth day, how can there be light on the first day? There are many types of light that are not visible to the human eye, shortwave lights that include ultraviolet lights, x-rays, and others, longwave light that includes infrared, radio waves, and on and on. Light is produced by friction, by fire, by numerous chemical reactions, as well as the nuclear reactions of atom fissions and fusion, which is what we think uh, is occurring in the sun Listen, God had at his fingertips many options to accomplish his purpose. Light does not automatically require the sun. We know that because Revelation is going to tell us that, and I'll read that in just a moment. Notice the extraordinary fact that day and night are at this point utterly independent of the sun and the moon, which is astonishing. Some think Moses blundered here. Didn't he know that there can be no light where there is no sun. As though the author of the first five books of the Bible, which constitutes the nation of Israel, and is, even if we were to put aside the divine inspiration of the scripture, a work of unparalleled genius that has shaped the laws and cultures of untold societies across the globe for over three and a half millenniums, was naively unaware of the supposed blinding logical inconsistency within the first pages of his work. Oh, how can you have light without the sun? But Moses didn't miss this. No, he didn't. God's prophet wanted us to get this, that light and all it stands for comes not ultimately from the created thing, but from God himself. God is the source of illumination, wisdom, knowledge, and truth. By creating light three days before he created the sun, moon, and stars, he made this crystal clear. The sun is merely God's tool, God's torch. We could say that in the same way the moon dimly reflects the light of the sun, the sun dimly reflects the light of God. And that is why in the new heaven and the new earth, in the book of Revelation, there is no sun, for it will be fulfilled. uh, Let me read it to you there. Revelation 22, verse 5, it says this. There will be no more uh, night. Uh, There will, I'm sorry, there will be no more night. 
They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Yes, that's, you know, it blows my mind when I think of this. I think of, you know, I, I, I don't know why I just ponder things, and I just sit there and I think, man, what was that light that God produced? But we're going to see it in Revelation. It's going to be more glorious than the sun. I always think that everything that we see in creation uh, is a million times better in heaven. So, you know, I, I, you know when, when young people say to me, oh, Paul, I don't want to die. I want to get married. I want to have sex. I want to have kids. You know, no. I'm like, hey, in heaven, it's a million times better. Everything in heaven is a million times better. The sun, it has nothing on Jesus. It's glorious. All right, verse 6 through 8. We're moving along. Okay. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the water, and let it separate the waters from water. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so, and God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. Now, the word for firmament uh, there describes what we would call the sky or the atmosphere. Basically what things look like was that there was a layer of water on the surface of the earth. And above that was the layer of the atmosphere, the sky, and capable of sustaining life, by the way. Above that was another layer of suspended water, like a canopy of water over the earth. Talk about our, your greenhouse effects. Uh, but that's the way God designed it. He spoke it, and it was so... Uh, a lot of scholars think, um, a lot of creationist scholars think that uh, the way God set up the water uh, canopy was around the earth, uh, such a thin layer of it too, that the sun would penetrate with all its rays to cause cancers and all other disease. And so it was beautiful and spectacular, the greenhouse effect as it turned in this environment. Uh, if you haven't heard this, but we found mammoth lions in the North Pole right on the tip with total vegetations in its digestive tract, meaning there's a lot of vegetation up there and on the bottom there, on the, underneath that snow-capped ice. And what does it tell you? It tells you there was a lot of vegetation before the fallen world. It's pretty amazing, pretty amazing. And so it, the, the world we look at today is far different than this one before the flood. And so this, is a, and so this, this, uh, this canopy effect was marvelous. Uh, now a lot of, you know, a lot of cancers are, are because of the sun. Uh, if, you're, if you're, you know, going out and getting the suntan early in the morning on the summertime, it's going to affect you when you become 45, 50, 60 years old. Just know that. Anyways, that's, that's free. You don't, I'm not going to charge you for that. And so Genesis chapter 1, verse 9 through 10. And God said, let water under the skies be gathered into one place and let the dry ground appear. And it was so, God called the dry ground land and gathered waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. So again, the separation, this was the third and final separation of God's creation. On the surface of the earth, God separated out the waters from the land. Now we can uh, be very sure that the globe didn't look like it does now. Many people contend that there was one land mast that's surrounded by seas, uh, that we don't really know that, but we know that the shape of the land changed significantly 
as a result of the flood. At the time, the land was broken up and waters that were trapped underneath came rushing to the surface along with the rain. Things don't look the same afterwards. Just it doesn't look the same. So, however, uh, it looked on day three was that uh, the way God designed it. Uh, those, were, those first three days were marked by separation. He spoke them and they were so. The next three days were designed for man's substance. Now, interesting, uh, every, you know, when you think of the word bara, it creates something out of nothing. But most of the things now are going to be created out of what was created already. So different word in the Hebrew Bible. There's a couple of theirs. There's Jetzer and Itzer, these words that you find in the Hebrew language to say that it formed and made life out of the, uh, the earth that was created. And so that's why man is made out of the dust. Uh, we were made out of it. What's new, when you read about man's creation, it says God bara man. He's talking about the soul of man. That's new. And that's a creation act. And so that's why it says that. But let's read now. Uh, so to verses 11 through 25. And then we'll come back and just address some of these things. Verse 11. Uh, put on your reading uh, thoughts here. Your reading mind. Then God said, let the land produce vegetation, seed bearing plants and trees on the land uh, that bear fruit with seeds in it. According to the various kinds. Just, a, just, just amazing thought here. Um, the dating is, is really difficult of this creation. Simple fact is that God created things in a mature state. You know, Adam was in a mature state. The life and animals and, and trees and they're in, in a mature state. They would have the rings that we would calculate. Just, just throwing that out there. So, uh, and, and if you think that God created everything to last forever, how old do you think that was? in a mature state. Anyways, just throwing that out there. Food for thought, free. And it was so, verse 12, the land produced vegetation, plants bearing seeds according to their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. Notice that word, kind. It's very important, right? Because when you're speaking uh, with, uh, you know, scientists, uh, you, you you always want to say the different, you know, scientific words, but they get you. Just say kind, humankind, feline kind, you know, uh, canine kind, uh, because they, you, you, we never see from kinds growing to another kind. That's, you know, evolution, macroevolution. We never see that on, anywhere on planet Earth. So the kinds, we don't see that. So, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. Uh, and then it goes on, and God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of heaven to give lights upon the earth. And it was so, and God made the two lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and, that, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse. These are such the, the powerful luminaries that we see today. Uh, and God sent them, uh, set them in the expanse of heaven to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was the evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm and with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of heaven. So God created the great creatures of the sea 
and every living thing with which the waters uh, teems, and that moves and that moves about it in it according to their kinds. Again, kinds, animals, fish according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. There's another phrase that we'll look at before we close out this morning. Good. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful and increase in the number. Fill the water in the seas and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the land produce the living creatures according to their kind, the livestock, the creatures that move along the ground, and the wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. And God made the wild animals according to their kind, the livestock according to their kind, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. All right. Verses 11 and 13, God creates the plants according to their kind. God creates the heavenly bodies as signs, makers uh, to, bro- to provide direction and to delineate the calendars and seasons. Uh, verse 20 to 23, God created all the life in the water and the sky according to its kind. In verse 24, 25, God created all the land and animals according to their kind. Now, what do you notice about all the living things that God created? He created them according to their kind. Yeah, good. Get that. Get that, right? Because that's important. That simply means that fish can't make, I mean, fish, I'm sorry, that simply means that fish make other fish. They don't make birds. Birds make birds. They don't make lizards. Lizards make lizards. They don't make monkeys. Monkeys don't make people ever, ever. Not a billion years, not in a billion years. Even if we could have been around that long, they're not there. God made plants and animals to reproduce with their own kind and reproduce after their own kind. And God had an order in his creation. He spoke and it was so. His first three days of creation were marked by separation and his next three days were designed for man's substance that the first thing we discover about God's creation, there's order. There's order. It's not from goo to the zoo to you. That's not how it works. Okay, that's, that's important. You know, macroevolution is not there. There's changes within the kind. Uh, get, get last week's video. The second thing we discover is the goodness of God's creation. At the end of verse 10, 12, 18, 21, and 25, it says, and God saw that it was good. The goodness of God's creation. Have you ever seen one of those t-shirts that says, God don't make junk? Well, the grammar might be bad, but the theology sure is good. The fact is that when God created the universe, he was able to look around and say it was good. Each step of the way, it was good. And we are able to say that today. Uh, I'm sorry, we, uh, are we able to say that today? Are we able to look around at everything in creation and say that it was good? No, we got hurricanes. They aren't good. Tornadoes aren't good. Earthquakes aren't good. Disease isn't good. Cancer isn't good. So what happened? Well, something happened between the time God created everything good and the bad things we see in creation today, and it's called sin. Sin. Not so much individual sins that we commit on a day-to-day basis, but the original sin committed by Adam and Eve. He was the head. He was the head of mankind. So what he did affects every one of us. You would have done the same. Now, 
We'll get into that more in detail when we get uh, to chapter 3, but suffice it to say that the bad things we see in creation today weren't in the begin, uh, to begin with. They are the result of the curse brought on by sin. God spoke, it was so, and it was good. No disease, no genetic defects, no death, no sin, no curse. It was good. I think of Revelation 21, verses 3 to 5. It says this, And I heard with a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And notice this, verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Oh, thank you, Lord. Or mourning or crying or pain. For the old, old order of things had passed away, He who was seated on the throne, that's God the Father, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, John, for these words are trustworthy and true. I look forward to that day. Amen? Amen. When we're with Jesus. I look for the day when I get to see my dad, my father on earth. I look for the day when I get to see my mother-in-law, Janice, who was just an amazing mother-in-law. She loved cooking for me. That's, that's the way I am, you know. I, I look forward to that day. No more tears, no more pains, no more suffering. I look forward to seeing my friends that have departed, my family members. Some of you have lost children. We'll, we'll be able to see them all whole, made new. I look forward to that day. Amen. Amen. All things will be new. Let's stand up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward and they'll just close us out with a song. And Father, I know that this creation was perfect in the beginning, but it's ma- it was marred. It was marred by human beings. Even myself, Lord, even today, Lord, a sinner, but saved by your wonderful grace. We look for the day, Lord, when we're in heaven and we're with you and we get to praise you and worship you and thank you for saving us. And we get to see our family members, our friends. We look for that day. No more pain, no more sorrow, no more thieves, no more fears. Can't wait for that day. I pray if there's anybody here, Lord, that doesn't know you, that this message would speak to their hearts. Holy Spirit, go deep within the soul and bring conversion. And if anybody here is hurting this morning, that you would meet them now. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.